Matters of conscience. Uh, embarking on this discussion of, of the conscience, and and let's go right to to First Corinthians chapter eight. I meant to apologize to Nathan. I put him on the spot last week. We had the Bible open, and what it was is I saw three or four people open the Bible. I'm thinking, okay, I should have started with the Bible opening. Maybe it would have been better. And so I didn't mean to put you on the spot last week, Nathan. That's okay. I forgot my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, 1 Corinthians chapter eight. There's, there are two primary passages who talk about matters of conscience and how to handle them within amongst believers. First Corinthians eight is the first one. It actually goes 8, 9, and 10 because he wraps, it, he, he wraps it back up in chapter 10. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then uh, Romans 13 talks about, in response to governments, talks about the conscience there. And then he picks it up in Romans 14. So we'll look at that passage next week. We'll walk through this passage today. Just bring us back a little bit to where we were last, last week. Conscience is your awareness of what you believe is right and wrong. And just... the, the the reminder in the front end of this issue is that it is it is naturally a subject that we're passionate about because it's a moral consciousness. So it's an, it's an idea of what is right and wrong. So once you walk into an idea of this is right and this is wrong, it's not just a, a passive discussion. When you have a discussion with your kids about, yeah, I don't care if it's a blue shirt or a red shirt. It doesn't really matter. You're not passionate about it. But if it's a matter of that skirt's too short or too long, now you're getting passionate about it because it's a matter of what you think is right and, and what, how, you, how you respond to, to, to what they're wearing. So I say that because we need to understand in the church we get passionate about subjects that are conscience issues. And we're going to talk about next week how to add to or subtract to our conscience and how to respond to um, believers who have differences of, uh, of conscience issues and how we handle that. So a lot of things to cover this morning, beginning with 1 Corinthians 8. So... I first the first three verses. We're going to walk through a couple comments, but first of all, the foundational piece here is not just foundational chapter eight. It's actually foundational chapter nine and ten. Is a statement he starts out with in the first three verses of chapter eight. Look what he says. So, First Corinthians chapter eight, verse one through three. So, he says, "Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge." Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So this is, he's laying the groundwork of how we're going to apply the principles he's going to walk through now in chapter 8. So what, what are the, what's the significance of what he's trying – what is he trying to tell us in the first three verses? So just the, the context, right? What's the deal with the idols? The idols, you're going to have issues here. He's going to, remain, he's going to come back to it in Romans 14. You have food that's offered to idols. Some believers say it's inappropriate to eat that food. That food was resold on the market. I'm not going to eat food that was offered to an idol. Now you could just – we don't have that issue today, but you could very well imagine within the church if that were an issue, that would be a very easily debatable, conscious issue. I mean do we have a right to eat this food? I mean come on. It was, it was offered to these idols. I mean this is like polluted. This is like soil. This is like we don't, all the appearance of evil. We don't have any appearance of evil, and surely eating food that's offered to idols is the appearance of evil and staying away from the world. I mean you could imagine that kind of debate in a modern context. So he goes through chapter 8. That's the issue. The issue is there, this food has been offered to idols. Some believers said, man, you can't touch it. And another believer says, I have no problem eating it. That's, that's the core of, of the problem. And there's going to be questions of conscience that he brings up in this. 
And these questions, these issues of conscience, and Romans 14 is going to be good about bringing another angle to the question that we'll deal with next week. But so it's, it's good to, to address this and addressing it with the question of, of course, he talks about knowledge. Conscious means, Mark Hager uh, pointed this out last week, but conscious is a joint, joint knowledge or adding to knowledge. So it's not just conscious that builds on proper knowledge, and we'll discuss some of that as well. But okay, what's, what's the significance then? What's the foundational truth? What is he trying to say in these first three verses that's going to be pivotal to the rest of his discussion in chapter 8? Okay, so love builds up, because what's going to be what's going to be the issue here around the around the conscious is how we how we treat each other, how we respond to each other. I find it interesting because people often often point to the fact that okay, a conscious issues needs to be fed by what proper knowledge, proper understanding. So he addresses that issue a little bit later on because he, he'll tell he'll tell them in, in later on in the chapter that well you understand those people with a weak conscious don't have the same knowledge that we have. So I'm going to come back on these few verses. Let's maybe read a few more verses, and we'll come back on this. we got verse 4. It says, Now, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. I mean, he says, what are you saying? Basically, it's nothing. I mean, there's no such thing as other gods. And since there's no such thing as other gods, an idol is just an object. I mean, we know that. And that there is no other god but one. Verse 5, but even... If there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. What is he saying? Here's, here's, we understand there's no, there is no other God. There's only one God, the Lord God. So, these idols, it's nothing. Verse 7, not everyone has what? That knowledge. Which means what? Which means some people are, don't understand that. It doesn't mean they don't have the intellectual knowledge about it. They don't have the understanding about it. Okay? Because clearly these are, they're still referring to believers. So they're not saying these believers think there's other gods. Some commentators say that, but I don't see how you could, how you can justify saying that other believers felt like there were other gods. Well, that would make no sense for them for him to say that. I think they're just simply saying that these had, these believers, like it says in verse seven, con- they had with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. In other words, their bother, their conscious bothers, and bo- their consciousness says, "Stay away from this." Now, you could imagine too, as we are, we're raised with different conscious issues based on the you know, and we respond to our conscience based on how we're raised. So you can imagine a family where they worship the idols, and they gave to the idols, they sacrificed the idols. Now they're saved. They're thinking, "Well, wait a minute. That that I, that's my other. That's my past world. I shouldn't be a part of any of that." And I understand that someone else who came from another culture where they didn't have the idol issues, like, "I mean, what's an idol? It's nothing. It means nothing." Uh, I hear that a lot when it comes to, to you hear that a lot when it comes to music, for example, right? Someone who hears drums, oh, I came out of rock and roll. I don't want to hear drums. That's, that reminds me of my rock and roll life. Someone else like me, I'm like, I wasn't raised rock and roll. I mean, I, you know, I, my parents didn't let me listen to any of that stuff anyway. You know, I, I had these old <laughs> records of this old, you know, just so, no. So to me, it doesn't bring back all these others. But, <laughs> like Pat Boone, is that what you're talking about? 
So <laughs> he didn't answer. My mom thought. <laughs> my mom. Truth hurts. It, it's kind of cute because you think of another generation. My mom's thinking, you know, Elvis was really just a good person. Got caught up in a bad, bad situation. And of course, today we're thinking all the, you know, your your generation of rock and roll was not as as wicked as this generation's rock and roll, but. The thing is here, you have people who, in verse 7, he said, they don't have that understanding about idols. So they're bothered by it, and their conscience is bothering them. But he goes on to, to elaborate on that a little bit longer. So now come back to, to the first three verses. So what does he say in the first three verses? He says, we all have knowledge. Well, wait a minute. He's referring to those, those others as not having knowledge on these issues. But he's making a broad statement in the beginning that lays the foundation for everything he's saying. We all have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So, and if, anything, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. So here's my, here's my interpretation of what he's trying to say here. He lays a foundation by saying, listen. We... Everyone has knowledge to one degree or another. It's not complete because he says that afterwards, right? He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. In other words, our knowledge is incomplete. All of us are growing in knowledge and understanding. And if anybody thinks he doesn't need to grow in knowledge and understanding, I mean, you've got, you know, you know nothing. In other words, you're even showing your ignorance. You know, it's like someone saying, I, I, I don't have a problem with this. Yeah, but the, the fact that you think you don't have a problem shows you do have a problem. So he's, the, the fact that they're thinking that, there's, you know, we all have knowledge, but we haven't arrived at that knowledge. So there are people that have issues with the idols that their knowledge is incomplete in this one area. But none of us have complete knowledge in all areas anyway. So my attitude, my disposition towards them that have an issue with the idols is to what? Not have let, not, let my knowledge be a subject of pride but let love, loving my neighbor, should preempt being prideful about my understanding of this one area. So what does he do next? He lays the foundation next by, by saying that. It helps me, it, it helps me it set those pillars to understand what he's talking about with the conscience. There are areas that your conscience is telling you this is wrong, and someone else is like totally oblivious to it. You might be, to, you might be totally in the knowledge on that subject but there might be another area where they're prompted in their conscience that bothers them and it doesn't bother you at all and they have a knowledge in that area so I think he's, he's just he's, he's given that caution on, on the front end to say to how to handle these who don't have that understanding around idols but it's not just a matter of oh this is just a weaker brother that doesn't have knowledge as a whole is it specifically to that one area that he he lacks understanding as to how to handle the uh, the idols and the food given over to idols. And the reality is, there there are some subjects that when you're so formatted for years and years and years to think a certain way, you just feel awkward functioning differently. Uh, if you're told all your life that you know the movies is a place of is the Satan's den, is is wickedness, it's perverted, it's the first time you walk into one with your kid, you're like, ooh, I, I feel dirty. Like, I shouldn't be here. I mean, it's just it, it's just part of, and your conscience telling you, all these red flags are coming up. Is it, these red flags are coming up because of the way 
our conscience was nurtured in that in that right. Does it mean it was right? No. It just means that's the way your your conscience was trained and, and geared. Now, we'll we'll balance that out of course a little bit later with, with other other points. But the, the the driving intent should be just having knowledge in of itself is gonna make you arrogant and presumptuous like you're better than someone else because they're still under the shackles of their conscience in this one issue. If you're not careful, you'll think that you're better than someone else or that you're above that because they're still held up to these, you know, in our circles could be, you know, a fundamentalist tradition or, or this or this or that. But in reality, we have to be very careful with that because there are areas that God gives me the ability to have knowledge on, but I haven't arrived yet and we're continually growing. None of us have arrived to understand of knowledge. And all of us, as we grow in sanctification, our conscience grows in understanding as well and matures. And should continue to be, to be maturing. So he walks through chapter eight and says that. Then, if you walk to chapter nine, I'm just gonna. We're not gonna read through this. I'm just kind of giving a quick overview. But you walk through, and in chapter nine, you see. Um, well, finishing up in eight, basically describing that our conscious is not a tool for individual freedom. So what he's reminding the believer, even if he had the knowledge in this one area. Having your conscience tell you this is okay is not a, a license to do what you want. The thing is, many of us have, some of us, I should say, have swung out of a fundamental strict environment. My parents, you know, we had church on Sunday, Bible study on Wednesday. We traveled. If we ever want, actually, we started, we changed Bible study on Tuesday at one point because of school schedules. If we were to travel, we travel between Wednesday and Sunday, but we never missed a service. When we traveled, we never traveled on Sunday. We never, certainly never missed a service on Sunday. I mean, that's, that's the way you were wired. Is that a legalistic issue? Is that a right or wrong issue? The reality is it's not a right or wrong issue. But here's the danger. You throw off those shackles, and now your consciousness doesn't prompt you anymore. The first time it does, the first time you're driving on Sunday, it's like, wow, everybody else is in church. What am I doing out here in a car? You know, it's like, it's weird. You know, it's like, you don't want to go in a restaurant because you don't want people to see you because they might think, oh, you know, they don't think of Christians out there. You know, it's like, I want to cut the grass on Sunday because, I mean, you know, we don't work on Sunday. I mean, they might see me working and they don't have, all those things work into your conscience. Here's the thing. The danger is that we throw off all those shackles and, well, it's not a law. It's not right or wrong. So that's mad from in church or not. And now your consciousness is totally turned off as to your need to be faithfully involved in church. Because now the driving motive is what? I have the license to, I have the freedom to, as opposed to how do I love my brother and how do I serve the church in the process. So there, there's dangers of shutting that consciousness off, especially if it's not replaced. But I've seen sometimes people – I remember talking to this in, in seminary with a young man. He's like, yeah, I don't believe in – I forget what it is – some issue with some issue with the church. He said, I don't really believe in that. But he was he was leaping to he, he in other words he didn't take on something else that was good. You just kinda you just kinda took off the shackles and now your conscience doesn't prompt you and we don't see it as a good thing. We think we see that as, as the world does. The world sees conscience as, as a negative thing because it holds you back, it's weak, you don't want to feel guilty. And now we live under the guilt, especially in a fundamentalist environment where we feed on guilt, right? We feed on that continual guilt. If you're a good Christian, you should be doing this. If you're saved, you should be doing this. If, you know, if, you're, not, if you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not saved. So we throw off all those shackles, and now our conscience doesn't prick us anymore. But then 
we don't have some of the disciplines that we needed to, to grow in the Lord as well. So it's kind of this, this mixture of how we respond to it. So freedom of consciousness is not a license to do what we desire to do and just live our lives the way we want to. And in chapter 9, Paul goes on to explain how he says, am I not free? So 8, 9, 10 are actually the same, the same topic that flows because he comes back and wraps it up at the end of chapter 10. He comes back on the question of idols in chapter 10. So in chapter 9, he spends the whole chapter saying, I'm free. I mean, I'm an apostle. I have all these rights and all this freedom. But it says, do, do I, just because I've got all these freedoms and all these rights, does that mean I, I do what I want? No, not at all. Just reading verse 15 in chapter 9, it says, I've, I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that I should be done to me, but it would be better for me to die than that anyone should, be, should make my boasting void. But if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. In other words, if I have this understanding, this knowledge, I've got nothing to boast about but Christ. Uh, for this I do willingly. So what is my reward? He goes on to describe, this whole chapter 9 goes on to describe, I'm free in Christ. I'm free as an apostle, and yet I'm not going to make a claim to my rights because there's a greater need and there's a greater necessity, and that's a proclamation of, of the gospel. Chapter 10, he comes back in chapter 10, um, in verse 23, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, and all things are lawful for me, but not all things will edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So he's coming back on the same subject. Uh, verse 27, he hits the idols again. So he comes back on the same subject, but he says what? The, the driving, going back to the first few verses in chapter 8, the driving force should be not the freedom I have to do as I please, regardless of what my conscience dictates. It should be driven by a love and a desire for the well-being of my fellow brother. Verse 25, in chapter 10, Eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So look at how he ends chapter 10. I'll just wrap up in this one section here. So therefore, whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. So see all these verses, these verses that we're pretty familiar with, the verse of knowledge not edifying and puffing up, to the verse and we talked about here, you know, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, either drink. All this is in, in the context of what? All this is in the context of how you respond to your conscience and what you feel like is right or wrong, and how you exercise that right. Because ultimately, it's not about your right. It's not about my right to wear certain things, to do certain things. It's not about my right and the claiming right. And when you, we're going to talk next week, see how much time we have for all this. I know we always run out of time, so we run out of time. But I really want to talk about how, we, how you nurture a healthy conscience for your children. Because ultimately, you don't want your children to just pick up your conscience issues for the sake of picking up your areas of sensitivity. You want that conscious issue to be lined up as close as you can to the Word of God and let them develop, yes, healthy conscience, because I don't want my child not to have any, con- you know, so, oh, I mean, so now I'm not aware of any modesty issues. I wear whatever I want. No, I mean, God gives us, in his goodness, conscious to say, mm, red flag, warning sign, but that has to be nurtured that has to be fed according to knowledge, that has to be trained. And sometimes we have to add things to our conscience that we don't have. Sometimes we have to pull things away that, we, that shouldn't be there. But ultimately it's for what? The purpose is f- 
to love for the well-being of others, not for the exercise of my own own freedom. So, a couple conscious principles here. One, some of these the, the world totally does not understand that your conscience is a blessing. It's not often seen as a blessing because it's seen as a as a nuisance, right? It's, it's reminding us, it's it's pricking us. I don't want to. Feel, who wants to feel bad? You know, I'm not, how, how many times in even in marital arguments? Oh yeah, you never take out the trash. You're like, okay, I don't. You don't want the guilt of what you're not doing, and you kick at it. You you don't want to be told. Constantly feeling that frustration, so your conscience is telling you is is making you respond by feeling guilty about something, or it commends as well. Which means when you do something right, you're saying okay that you feel good about something because your conscience is telling you that was the right thing to do. So when you go and you let's say you you offended somebody or you kind of rude and abrupt and you go back and make amends to it, you feel good about it. Why? Because your conscience is telling you, hey, good job. You know you did the right thing, and that's good. And when you go out and you're rude to somebody and you walk away feeling bad because you're kind of like, nah, bad deal. You know, you, you know, you shouldn't feel good about that. That was wrong. What a blessing. The, the scariest thing we're going to have is when the Spirit of God is removed from this earth and man will lose spiritual consciousness. And the law of God is written in his heart that even now tells him there's a right and a wrong. Even now in a society as perverted as it is has a notion of right and wrong. So... Of course, abortion is a tragedy, but they still negotiate around what's right and when to do it and when not. I mean, there's, there's a debate. It's twisted. It's perverted because of sin. But imagine the day where the Spirit of God is going to be removed from this earth and man will have no consciousness, no guilt. And some of the most wicked people you see that are the murderers, they have no consciousness anymore. I mean, they kill, they destroy, they cause tragedy, and there's no guilt. Imagine that kind of world. So we, when we think about our conscience prompting us, we should, we should be thankful that God allows something in us to say, hey, that's not right. And I say that because if we're not aware of that, our, our response can be that we, we, we turn it off. Nah, I shouldn't, nah, that's just old tradition. I'm tired of feeling guilty about not doing this. And we kick it off, and that, that's a dangerous place to be. So let, let, that, let that simmer in your heart. Examine it. Test it. Prove it. See if it lines up with Scripture. Uh, know if you need to, to adjust it, take away from it. Why? So you need to examine it. It's not a matter of just letting your, your conscience go wild, but um, let it serve as a warning device, uh, as it should, because the world sees it as a sign of weakness. Uh, it, and when people struggle, you know, you see a lot of books today that talk about, well, you know, forgive yourself, uh, you know, stop blaming yourself. They want to, of course, it's a portion of that is good. But by and large, the world doesn't want to be told. That's why they don't like the church. The primary reason why the world doesn't like the church is not because you're goody two-shoes and because you're hypocrites. They don't like you because you remind them of a moral standard they don't want to hear about. You remind them of truth. So just living your life as a believer bugs people because it's a reminder in their conscience that there's truth, there's morality, there's right and wrong, and they don't want that witness. They don't want that testimony. So that's what really is at the heart of the, of the problem. But we'll come back on that. So it is it's powerful on a, on a personal level. I put down a personal level. It keeps you up late at night. And on a church level, it can be divisive and destructive. I mean, there's... 
something that's so destructive in the church are conscious issues. Fighting over someone's feeling of what's right and wrong that are not biblical. There's knowledge that feeds it, and there's a – I like these. I usually refer to these verses as these um, – in French, the term is called passepartout, which means it's universal key for things. So these verses of appearance of evil, I tell you, I, I, that appearance of evil verse is used for every form of every form of legality I've seen in, in my youth. You know, Oh, it's appearance of the world, join the world, appearance of evil. And we use this, this mixture of verses sometimes to, to create – create guilt basically but on the church level we can have these issues and it's so it's so divisive in the church and we talked about this last week a lot of the COVID issues that we have are so divisive because people are trampling over other people's conscious issues and knowing how to handle it and instead of being driven by love and it's on both sides of the, of the spectrum it's not it's not the hillbilly joe over here that says i you know no one's taking my gun or my mask and force a mask on me i'll be dead before i found a mask on or the other person over here who's, you know, the woke person and, oh, you know, whether they're going to think of wearing a mask. And it doesn't matter which side of the issue you're on. If it's not driven by an edifying love one for another, then you're missing the point. And um, we should be, be more, more aware of that. And a lot of churches have been devastated because people have taken up these conscious issues. And either the church has tried to force their conscious issues on people who say, listen, it's not the church, it's not the government's job. To intervene, the, the church, the government has been given authority over civil matters, not over church matters. And now you're telling us we have to do this, and they, they cause great, great frustration in, in the midst of that. So it's personal. It's always personal. I mean, it's always passional. It's always emotions. Uh, so it's, you have to understand that it's obviously when it, the conscious issues are personal issues by nature. And uh, I was kidding around last week that we, we could definitely hit on it things today i in five minutes i get in a very passionate discussion with my father i mean i visited with him a couple weeks ago and um he always every time i go he wants me to help him with the computer i mean i'm a, you you laugh because you know i know nothing about the computer probably but uh for him i know more than him you know so i'm tech support nathan be proud of me I know in three seconds I get very heated discussions with him if I just throw out a couple of questions about things he, I know he's passionate about, his conscience really works him with. We have, you know, it, they're, they're, by nature, these, these issues, they're right or wrong issues, so you want to feel strongly about them. That's, that's why we have to use that, that wisdom in uh, knowing how to handle those differences one with another. It was intended for you, meaning... It's not, it wasn't intended for you to use as a tool to force on someone else. It's interesting in, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, and you could be careful in how you apply this, but he doesn't say, he doesn't tell him, hey, you need to inform this person. You need to bring his knowledge up to where he understands he's not supposed to, or he has the freedom to. He doesn't say that. Why not? Why doesn't Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 say, hey, clearly this person doesn't understand. He doesn't have the knowledge you have, clearly, why didn't he just say you should inform him? Give him MacArthur's latest commentary. <laughs> Why doesn't he do that? Is it a time for people to grow? People are we're all at different levels, growing and and So there's a the time and growth, Richard? Conviction comes from the spirit. Say that again? Conviction comes from the spirit. Conviction comes from the spirit. On issues that the 
you're dependent on the conviction of the Spirit to, to inform. So I find it interesting here, or even in Romans 14, he doesn't say, hey, inform them, teach them, teach another class, do an equipping class on the subject of idols. If you did an equipping class on the subject of idols, surely everyone's going to come to your understanding of how they handle meat and idols. No, he says love, understand, for the well-being of others, for the sake of the gospel, there's a lot more at stake than whether or not he feels he should not eat that meat. So, fortunately, I didn't have emails in those days. I didn't write long email explanations as to why it's okay to eat the meat from the idols. But we would handle things so much <laughs> differently today. Imagine how the church would be different if we minded our own conscience. Now, there's a place. Now, that being said, there's a place to inform, right? We should have a desire as a believer to grow in understanding and knowledge. So there are areas that maybe I'm bothered by. I should understand, should I feel bothered by this? There are, there are places I'm not bothered by. I should ask myself, should I be bothered by this? So we, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but there, we have an obligation to line up our conscience and, and nurture that conscience with truth. That's an individual responsibility that we have. What I'm saying is that it's an it's a individual that conscience is intended for me. It's not intended for me to use as a tool to place that on on someone else it's not perfect number five it's not perfect as we grow older usually the pattern of conscience will change so those things that are that are you know i'm super sensitive about now when i'm 75 there's probably a few fewer fewer of those right i'm not going to be stomping the ground for the same thing that i did when i was 20 than when i was 65 70 i mean you you develop a different understanding why well, the reality is because life becomes more precious, more valuable. You have a greater understanding of what's important. At the end of the day, if you knew your child or your sibling or your loved one had but a brief time to live, your only concern would be, does he know Christ? It wouldn't be what he's wearing. I'm sorry, what version are you reading from? It, it, it'd be, why? Because when that, in that moment... You come back to the pure essentials and what's, what's, what's valuable in life. So our, our understanding, our conscience should, should, should grow. I remember a, a preacher I have a lot of respect for because Dr. Robertson started Tennessee Temple University and uh, just did a lot for the conservative movement in those days, defendant from liberalism and university. So he, he did a lot for – I met with him and – I respect the man a lot, but I understand we're on different, you know, he comes from a more fundamental circle. I remember him preaching once. Is after the new president was in. The new president was gracious, invited him to come preach about a year later. He had made some changes, naturally, right? And he preached the whole time about traditions, the value of traditions. Everybody knew what he was doing. It felt awkward. I remember him saying, making a statement about we believed this then and we've always believed it and we'll always believe it. Thinking, there's nothing wonderful about that. There's, you don't grow. You don't grow in your understanding of what's... And we're not talking about gospel issues here. We're, we're talking about changes that he brought into the school, allowing women to wear pants after 5 p.m., you know, within the two-mile radius of the school. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm saying it, it was on those kind of things he was, he was referring to. And 
I just thought how sad to think of a person saying, I've, ne- I've always held these conscious positions, and they've never changed on my life, and that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And even me at a young age, I'm thinking, how is that wonderful? <clears throat> so we should be growing in our understanding of, of these matters. And the last thing I put down is it can be damaged. Jeff, aren't there some things that we should be have the same conscience, you know, feeling about our entire lives? I mean, for instance, my, um, my aunt and uncle have been involved in a church in North Carolina for the last 15 years, and they left last week because the church let a pair of active lesbians not only join, but also join the choir without confronting them at all on the homosexuality. Sure. And my, my aunt and uncle, I mean, are very involved, and they left. They, they just, and they, they confronted the elders, they did all that, but they refused to do anything about it. So aren't there things that, especially today, I mean, not all conscience issues are little things, right? A lot of them are huge things that we can't just let be okay because there is truth. So the, Bible, so the Bible is going to be clear that we're going to divide over the gospel. The gospel will divide. So we can't be surprised when a sibling doesn't love us because we hold true to the gospel. So when we're talking about conscience issues, we're not talking about things that are uh, gospel issues. We're talking about things that um, have to be a truth applied to your life, that reflect maturity, re- reflect a certain level of sanctification. I would think that... Obviously, when you talk about things like uh, accepting a lesbian couple, I mean, it's hard to imagine that in, in any, any Bible-believing church. It's pretty amazing that they would come to that understanding. But at that point, yes, that's divisive. And what I mean by divisive is that's a reason to, to, to leave an assembly because they're no longer uh, applying truth to their lives. So I certainly don't th- – th- that's where these, the, the gray areas fall. The reason why I remind pretty strongly in the beginning that we're passionate about what's right or wrong is because, unfortunately, everyone wants to label their conscious issue as Bible issues mm-hmm. or as gospel issues. That's the difficulty. We want to label, our, we want to label all of our conscious issues under issues of, of gospel truths because that gives it more weight. I think that's where the discernment comes in because the eating of the idols, food of the idols, was not a gospel issue, but they took it as a gospel issue. They took it as something that was that important that we cannot partake of it. Um, so I think that would be the distinction you make, and that does require wisdom and discernment. And I think uh, that, of course, leaving under those circumstances a church is absolutely justified because we're not talking about someone who's just taking a, a, a preference or a conscious issue. They're taking, they're taking the gospel and they're perverting it. So I told you. I, it seems like we might also have to define what are gospel issues. Because I have friends who are very liberal who are all like, yes, we believe the gospel. This is a gospel issue, but they're okay with the homosexuality and the transgender. Because right. It's not the gospel. The gospel is, you know, Jesus Christ died for your sins. It's not all these other little things that are in the Bible, but, you know, it's not really the gospel. So what do we define as the gospel? As like gospel issues that we need to be firm on? <laughs> no, I'm saying I got one minute. That's a whole class itself, right? Well, the thing is, if I say the inerrancy of the word and the supremacy of the word, we submit all of our beliefs and truth to the word of God. So that would be, of course, where I would begin 
because when people start arguing about things homosexuality, they they put the word to the side and and make it pragmatic, or they be they, um, they say make it irrelevant, or they contextualize it, saying, okay, that was only relevant here, or so. One is how they address the word and how they submit to to the word of God. We take such a strong position that the word of God is God's inspired text that we submit to it. And when the word of God says lying is wrong, lying is wrong. When it says that man can take what is unseemly and what is perverted, that's perverted. And we we accept that as as gospel truth, like they used to say, right? Uh, so, I, yes, there's going to be a natural confusion around that because they're going to try to to, to pollute the gospel. And by polluting the gospel, they're going to try to uh, add things or take away from things that should be or should not be there. So let me try to pick up on that a little bit next week because I think, I think that's healthy and to, to, um, to address that as far as distinction between gospel issues and, and conscious issues. Next week, we'll try to pick up on that Bible usage. I'm not going to cover them. i just give them references. We're not, we're not going to spend time on that. But you want to take how can one man's conscience be right and another be wrong? I got a few points on that I want to cover next time, and uh, then we'll go to Romans 13. We'll do all that in about 40 minutes next week. So. <laughs> That's right. All right, it's closing prayer. Father, thank you for giving us, Lord, your your law written in our hearts. Lord, how. We already observe how wicked man is in many ways, and yet he, he perverts what was given to him to worship. Instead of worshiping the Creator, he, he, he worships what the created and himself. And Lord, yet we have a conscience that prompts us and that tells us, Lord, that what is right and what is wrong. I, th- I thank you, Lord, that you've given that. It's a grace that you've given that to society and to the world as a whole. Lord, help us know how to, to align that with the truth and to... Uh, not be callous and indifferent about it, Lord. Help us be informed about it. Lord, help us grow in our understanding and how to develop a healthy conscience and to do so for our children and for our families. So just thank you for this time uh, we've taken uh, this morning. Bless the services to follow. In your name we pray. Amen.